People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. You're listening to Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. You will know by now that Mozart's delightful opera, The Marriage of Figaro, Le Nozze di Figaro, is opening this coming weekend here at the Artscape Opera House, and the conductor of the production is Skalk van der Merwe, who is with me in the studio. Skalk van der Merwe started his undergraduate studies in music in 2011 at the University of Pretoria. He majored in orchestral conducting under the Dutch conductor Gerben Groeten. Besides orchestral conducting, his studies also included violin, voice, composition, theory, and choral conducting. And then in 2019, he won the fourth Len van Sale Conductors Competition and was awarded with an internship at the Nashville Symphony Orchestra in the United States and the opportunity to study with the Russian conductor Viktor Polsky at the Northwestern University in Chicago. And Skalk has been active as a conductor, as I said, since 2011 and currently holds the position of principal conductor of the Capital Chamber Orchestra, the resident conductor of the University of Pretoria Symphony Orchestra, and principal conductor of the Symphony Chorus of Pretoria, also of the Semper Opera Company. So, Skalk, enough from me. Welcome. <laughs> it's good to have you here. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Well, it's good you made time because opera rehearsals are a bit, uh, shall we say, all-consuming, aren't they? And at all times of day and night. Yeah, well, one can summarize it as hectic. Hectic, <laughs> really, <laughs> I see you've conducted Mozart before. You did the magic flute when you were just 23, some 10 years ago or thereabouts. And now you've come to this great one, The Marriage of Figaro. Is it something that you enjoy, this sort of music, this style? Well, definitely Mozart. I mean, who who can't enjoy Mozart? Right, please? right. Um, and when you do this music and this opera, you really realize his genius. I mean, we struggle to put a production uh, on like this which uh, takes us more than six weeks. And this guy wrote the music in less than six. So, <laughs> and, and then you go through the detail in the music, and it's really unbelievable what, what he accomplished. And then just opera in general, the fact that it's not abstract as symphonies are or sonatas. Um, you don't have to put your own story to the music, but you can just observe and take in and look at the intentions and and so on that that they wanted to convey to us the messages what i wanted to ask you as the conductor of a thing like the marriage of figure i sometimes make a joke because i'm a great wagner fanatic mm -hmm. and people say wagner's so long <laughs> and my joke is and don't get cross skulk the Marriage of Figaro is the longest opera in the history of opera because of all the recitative. Oh, yes. I find the recitative a problem. How do you deal with that? And clearly you don't find it a problem. Well, we've... Uh, I mean, I know it's integral, obviously. Oh, definitely. I mean, if you don't have the recitatives, you don't really have the story. And if you go back and you look at the history of opera and its origins, the arias and so on were actually just put in there to to show off the singer's voice and the recits <laughs> were the origins of opera that's how people told the stories 
Um, so opera is recits, and and the rest is is I won't say noise, but <laughs> <laughs> no, don't say noise. Um, so uh, yeah, we find it very important to to tell the story, and we have a wonderful pianist at the stage who's playing for us. Uh, we're using piano and not harpsichord or fortepiano, and the reason for that is that I like the philosophy that if the composer were alive today. What instrument would he use? Yeah, and obviously he would have used a piano. Oh, definitely. Yes. But um, our pianist is also a wonderful jazz player. And we spoke about this and the fact that these old composers were masters at improvisation. They were basically today's jazz musicians. I know where this is going. <laughs> and when when you play recits, you have to use themes... Um, in the opera, it's not simple, simple accompaniment of, of chords while the the voice is doing their thing. And because we have Franco, who is also a jazz pianist, this really works well. And he's really married the music and the fact that it's a recit. So it all gels together very well. Francois who? Just Francois Boueta. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you suggesting that during the recits, he's doing a lot of improvisation? Oh, definitely, yes. Planned improvisation yeah. for the singers, of course. But, right, right, right. But during rehearsal, a lot of it was spontaneous, and then we've just cemented that. Yeah. yeah. And it works, presumably. Oh, very well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you find, as the conductor, it doesn't slow down the action, does it? That's what I always think. The conductor who is looking at the non-narrative of the opera, suddenly you've got to stop and have the recitative. You'll hear that I'm not a recitative fan, <laughs> it's, but you're doing very well to it's, explain how it's important all, it is. It's all interwoven. When you listen to audio recordings and CD, then you always have this two or three second gap between the recit and the music and the recit and the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on stage, there, there shouldn't be a two or three second gap between this. And that's why I think it's, it is sometimes important for the conductor to actually be the basso continuo player, the person behind the piano who also accompanies the singers, mm -hmm. because then this can all just flow naturally. But I have such a great relationship with, or at least established such a great relationship with Francho in the past three weeks that uh, that I think we can really get things to cross over into each other quite yeah, quite yeah. smoothly and without a break in action or or musical tension. That's interesting, Scott, because um, you've only known him for a short while. Did he, whose idea was it when you were discussing the performance that you made the uh, recitatives like this? Did he come with the idea and you said, oh, well, let's give it a try? Or? We spoke a bit beforehand and he asked what my approach would be. Would I want straight just chords to accompany the singers? Or are we going to be a bit more experimental? And um, I said, look, go ahead. And if it's too much, I will stop you. And if it's too thin, uh, we can make it thicker as well. Okay. Um, so it was a collaborative process. So you see, Scott, there with my negative input, <laughs> we've come out with something very positive because now that's something to listen out for at the performances, to listen carefully what's happening during those recitatives. What is your first piece of music? Well, uh, fittingly, my first piece will be the overture to this uh, opera, so uh, Le Nozze di Figaro Overture by Mozart. Okay, now I'm going to play a version which I hope you don't object to, <laughs> which is the Scottish National Orchestra conducted by Sir Charles McCarras. Fantastic.
extraordinary overture to The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart, played there by the Scottish National Orchestra, conducted by Sir Charles McCarris, who was a great Mozart conductor. And we were just saying it was the first choice, incidentally, of my guest on People of Note this week, Skalk van der Merwe, who is the conductor of The Marriage of Figaro with Cape Town Opera, which opens next weekend. And we were saying while we were listening to that remarkable piece, Skalk, that it's one of the few overtures that doesn't contain anything from the opera. We're so used to the overtures containing little themes from the opera. And that's usually the point of the overture as well. It's almost mm. as a, a preparation to the listener of what's to come in the opera. And it's not the case here. It's None of the thematic material in the overture is in the opera, except maybe ours, because we are so creative with our uh, <laughs> restatives. Ah. Uh. But so I thought about this, and I wondered what the the other title for this opera, which is based on the the play by Beaumarchais, is the Mad Day because it all happens in twenty four hours, and the whole plot is basically scheming and trying to plot revenge on on everyone. So a very important aria for me in. The opera is uh, Bartolo's La Vendetta, or um, My Vengeance. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about this overture and what it actually means. And as we just heard, it it basically starts with this and it's it's very much uh, uh, almost like one person whispering into another person's ear that's like a co-conspirator working on a on a scheme or a plot or revenge. <laughs> I love it. And it I just it. builds and builds and builds until finally it all resolves. But no one really manages to to fulfill their their intentions. Mm -hmm. Um as it usually happens when you try to plot revenge. It never really works out. <laughs> Is it a pretty traditional production? What you see on stage obviously. Yes. Uh it's we're calling it Period-ish is the term we've we've coined for this. So it's uh, it's almost period production. Steam yeah. period. Yeah. So we I, I won't give away too much. <laughs> <laughs> but it is an opera if you think about it. It's got filled with the most glorious music from the uh, aria that the Countess sings, the great sextet at the end. And Things even like Voike Sapete. And and I mean the Act Two dry. finale, which is. 20 minutes of music that just doesn't stop and it starts with one voice and then two and then three and then four and mm -hmm. then five and then six and it just continues and continues and I mean it was revolutionary for the time as well yeah. everything from the overture the the high-pitched bassoon to the very end of the opera so it's it's absolutely wonderful maybe um, it's a bit early in your career <laughs> because let's face it you have only just recently turned 30 mm. Where does opera rate for you, apart from the symphonies and sonatas, or is it that you love everything, or do you have a special affinity for opera? I have this great respect and admiration for South African musicians because we we don't place ourselves ourselves in boxes. Um, when you go to, let's say, Germany or somewhere in Europe, you usually, usually have someone who specialises in opera, hmm. or maybe even in Mozart or in Brahms, or they are only choral conductors. Um, here, we, it's, the industry is forgiving in that sense that we are allowed to do more than one thing. 
And I am really grateful for that because I have a big admiration for opera, but Brahms didn't write any operas, and I have a <laughs> massive admiration for Brahms as well. Mm-hmm. We're going to so, come back to Brahms in a moment, by mm, the way. Yeah. So I have respect for music in general, and I mean, I can even go to a jazz club and, and appreciate that. So I'm not not um, solely focused on opera mm-hmm. or symphonic music. And I don't really see myself specializing in one or the other for the rest of my life. And few conductors actually do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned Brahms, and there's this lovely story you tell about conducting Brahms three, mm-hmm. and suddenly, after not really being a Brahms enthusiast, you were converted. Just mm-hmm. t- tell us that story. Well, I think one has to go through all nine Beethoven symphonies before you approach Brahms. I think it's a natural process. It's like uh, waking up and then taking a shower and not taking a shower and then waking up. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So I think we we grow used to this this evolution of music through the ages. And I was never a big Brahms fan. I remember seeing a big orchestra um playing Brahms one and it everyone was in tears and I felt a bit guilty for not having this emotional response that everyone else had. And then um I was approached by my conducting lecturer at the time, Herben, to assist him with Brahms three, so I ended up doing the whole thing because he was sick, so I had to conduct all of the rehearsals. And suddenly Brahms three just made me realise how deep and complicated and intense the music of this composer is. Once you actually r- go through a score and and you look at the the phrases that are layered on top of each other and the I mean that just it opens up a whole new world of of music and, and suddenly I have well. this, oh the polyrhythms are yeah, just yeah. and it's heavily complicated for the orchestra to play and for the conductor to conduct. Sometimes you just have to pick a line and conduct that because sometimes you think you listen it, and it's so interesting because on the ear it doesn't sound that complicated no that's the thing that is, um, that's the remarkable thing sometimes three is one and one is three to the listener that sounds fine mm. but when you look at the music it's like wow and then I had the privilege to conduct it at the Hiberta Rupert Memorial Concert with the CPO as well and it's I must say, uh, looking back at my decision to conduct Brahms three with with Cape Town Philharmonic, next time I'll choose something less complicated. <laughs> um, well, a few conductors have told me that the Brahms three is the most tricky mm-hmm. of the four to conduct, and you you saying that that's true? Oh, I definitely think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In future, I might choose choose Mozart. <laughs> oh no! Don't give up. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Now listen, you've chosen as your next piece of music the Brahms Three Third Movement, yes. which is one of those lovely, like in the Second Symphony, one of those lovely autumnal, uh, beautifully scored and lovely thematic movements. Do you agree? Oh, definitely. And it's so interesting how the tempi of different recordings vary on this movement. It could be very slow or more towards the Andante side as well. So, But it's marked Andante, isn't it? It is. It's Allegretto. It's marked Andante. Yes. And that's the interesting thing. And I think we strayed a bit from the composer's intentions in the 70s and 80s when 
we recorded single movements so that we could sell records. And people were really impressed by these single movements and didn't see the symphony as a whole. Mm-hmm. And now we go back and we listen to these recordings and we think, oh, but they did it that way. Why? Maybe they know something that we didn't. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, just look at what the composer wrote. <laughs> Here's Brahms three, the third movement.
That was the third movement of the Symphony No. 3 by Brahms, the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra, conducted by Bernard Heitink. The choice of my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week, the conductor Skulk van der Merwe. And you specifically chose that Heitink version, Skulk. Does that mean you're a Heitink fan? Oh, very much so. It's just I know that his rehearsal technique is not talking but showing. Mm. And he's never excessive in what he does on stage. One can really see he's there for the music and to serve the music and not the people in the audience by trying to be a showman. And I can really respect and appreciate that. That means that he really is there for one thing and one thing only. And interestingly, when conductors do that, the audience loves them. Mm. But when they try to conduct for the audience, try and be a showman, when it's a big force, the hands go up and yeah, they jump. And the audience notices that. <laughs> but you know what's interesting about Heiting, I found, well, not me, but people, is one, orchestras really enjoyed working with him. Perhaps, as you say, he didn't lecture, he just showed them. They loved him, um, the orchestras. Well, and he made sure that the musicians got their due as well. Yeah, yeah. He, he threatened to leave orchestras if he knew that things weren't in favor of the musicians in the orchestra as well. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of musicians respect that. Because in the time that he did that, we had a lot of pop star conductors as well. And um, they didn't really care about the musicians. It was all about the, the fame and the glory and the money. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But then I have to say one of the other things about Heiting, I'm in a devil's advocate mood today, as you can <laughs> hear, Skulk, is that sometimes... I found some of his recordings lacking a bit of intensity and excitement, as wonderful and as glorious as they were. I mean, he conducted Bruckner 7 a few times in his farewell thing, which was the most magical thing. Yet a recording I have of him with the Concertgebouw years before was not a patch on those final recordings. But anyway, are there conductors that have influenced you? Um, uh, over the years, you, I know you said that lovely story that you used to wave a stick in your room <laughs> yeah. to your favorite piece of music when you realized you wanted to become a conductor. I think one of the big conductors, and he was actually one of the pop star conductors as well, is obviously Von Karajan. Yes. But I have the utmost respect for the fact that he was such an amazing businessman and entrepreneur. Mm. I mean, and I think a lot of musicians can learn from that. Yeah. We might have a passion for what we do, but we need to look <laughs> at making a living as well. Yeah. Um, and spending time in a rehearsal room 24-7 isn't really always the answer. Um, and I really wish that um, tertiary institutions would start implementing this as well, uh, a course that that teaches financial and business and even social media skills to to our young musicians because I think we all need it. Um, at the end of the day, you're, you need your, even if you're a brilliant composer, you need, uh, you need someone to listen to your music mm -hmm. and you have to go find those people. They're not going to approach you if they don't know about you. So that's why I've, I have great respect for Van Karajan. I think he, he was the master with that. I mean, he was revolutionary and he utilized everything around him, new technology, when uh, he had a big relationship with Sony and he would fly over there and 
when they introduced the, the compact disc, he was yes. one of the first people to use it. And Had that company called Telemondial or that something. That was his company. It was yeah. his own company, yeah. 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 And he would use all of uh, visual recordings and he would work with the most famous directors as well, mm-hmm. visual directors like Clouseau. And so he was really on top of his game with that. And I have a, a great respect for that. Uh, and his music <laughs> making. <laughs> um, I really appreciate Von Karajan's early music. Yes. Yeah. Before it was made for the audience. His early Beethoven symphonies have fantastic tempi. Are They're you talking correct. about the one with the Philharmonia Orchestra or the first cycle he did with the Berlin Philharmonic? The Philharmonia. The Philharmonia, yeah. yes, the 50s from the yeah. 50s. And it's, it's, it's really amazing tempi and so mm. on. And from there, it, it's really interesting how one could actually see what his real philosophy was, and that was showmanship and, and making money. Mm. Because he would, he would also record then in individual movements from symphonies maybe just like the first movement of Beethoven five, which is marked allegro. And if you take uh, Beethoven's tempo, actual metronome marking as well, it's really fast. Mm-hmm. And then some conductors over-dramatize it like he did with yeah. some of his recordings. I remember, you know, in the days when we used to hear loudly on a hi-fi set, Karyan doing the opening of Beethoven five, mm-hmm. The opening notes there is so massive. And then when you hear it in the hall, you sort of think, what? Because he exaggerated the sound so much. Oh, and he manipulated so many things in his recordings as well. For instance, if flautist had a, a long line yes. and they had to breathe, he would just edit it so that one can't hear the breath at yeah. all. So it was all <laughs> manipulated. Yeah. Um, as was the balance, the whole balance very often. Yes. And uh, one of his, I think it was the 1980 cycle of his Beethoven symphonies, you can hear the woodwind coming forward and back, depending on what you wanted, mm-hmm. like the whole group of woodwind yeah. being pushed forward. But then in his his last few years, I think he moved back to the music. He did. Um, A great Buchner 8, for example. Yeah, and he he was really obsessed with the way his musicians looked in recordings as well. <laughs> um, they had to be clean-shaven. They spent hours on making sure that the seating looked great in his recordings. Bald men had to wear wigs That's in the recordings. <laughs> they had no choice. And, of course, in those days, <laughs> um, women weren't allowed in the bill and fall. No, they weren't. And, I mean, he actually made that breakthrough. He introduced the clarinetist to the bill and fall. And that was where his relationship with the orchestra went sour because they said, no, we don't want a woman in the orchestra. That's right. That's right. But he did that because he thought that she was the absolute best. And he wanted the best player in his orchestra. Mm-hmm. So I think at the end there, he went he went back to the music. He did a lot of his last recordings, I think, with the Vienna Philharmonic. Yes. Um, like yeah. a Bruckner 8 and a Bruckner 7, which are absolutely mind-blowing compared to what he was doing in the 80s. Enough about Karajan. <laughs> uh, your next piece of music, uh, Skulk. Which is Bruch. And oh, here we have you conducting. Yes, that's correct. Tell me about this. So this is a recording with the KZN Full. I did during lockdown when we did virtual concerts with their current principal cellist, Mr. Duplessis. And this is Jan Bruch's Kol Nidre. And this was actually not one of my choices for that program. The cellist suggested it and when I started researching this music, um, it was just really wonderful. So, 
Unfortunately, and we're not going to play the whole thing because it's mm, about 11 or 12 minutes, but we'll get a good feel and for it. And one can hear in this music that the conversation between the cantor and the congregation, so it's, it's really well written, and one can actually go listen to the originals here and, and see where it comes from and where Bruch got the inspiration.
Well, there we have to leave that beautiful music by Max Bruch, the Kol Nidrei. And that recording, interestingly, was with the KwaZulu-Natal Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by my guest today on People of Notes, Skalk van der Merwe. And the cellist was? Uh, Aristide Duplessis. Aristide Duplessis. Yeah. Right now, we've heard you conducting as well, but we will indeed this weekend because um, Skalk is the conductor of The Marriage of Figaro, Lenota de Figaro, Cape Town Opera's production here at Artscape, which opens this weekend. But now, after talking so much about Karyan, I want to hear a little bit more about you, Skalk. Do you come from a musical background, or where did all this start? Because I gather you studied physics at one stage. Yeah, so no, my my family is not... I won't say they're not musical, but they weren't musically trained, at least. Mm-hmm. And I come from a small little town on the east rand of Johannesburg, where culture and music, um, especially classical music, is not uh, a big thing. Uh, where is that? Boxburg. Ah, mm-hmm. Boxburg. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, in fact, there you you work more on the sound of your car to play doof-doof music, you know. Yes, of course, <laughs> of course. And um, I don't know where my inspiration ca- came from, but when I was about nine or ten years of age, I asked my parents to get me a violin and a violin teacher because I wanted to try out this instrument. And so... Um, my dad almost fell off his chair when he heard this because uh, he was the first team rapper coach <laughs> at that, at oh, that okay. stage. Yeah, um, yeah. And, um, well, they got me my first violin teacher and violin, and ever since then I just I fell in love with music, and it's what I wanted to do. But as we spoke earlier, the, the conductors sometimes take finances into account, not really the music. Um, I did the same thing, but I shied away from music as a professional career and I I went into physics and every day at university I would walk past the music department and uh, I just realized that that was the place that I should be. Mm-hmm. So I applied for music and we didn't have a conducting program at the university at that stage so in my uh, initial audition exam we had to write a short essay as well and for some reason I wrote that I actually would like to be a conductor one day and the head of department at that stage Professor Wimful Yun the organist (laughs) approached me and said well I read your essay and we actually heard of a conductor who is in town from the Netherlands Gerben and we can approach him to serve as lecturer part-time lecturer at the university and uh, get you into conducting and I said well of course I'd love to do that and yeah he threw me in in deep end with things like Brahms 3 and so on that I had to conduct with his orchestra and yeah ever since then it just took off and I've never looked back since. No I'm sure you haven't and you won the Lynn Fonsell Conductors Competition in 2019. Yes and you mentioned the prize earlier in, in your introduction but I haven't quite managed to get to the prize yet <laughs> because I would have left in 2020 Yes, on the weekend that everything closed down in the United States. For my the bags, pandemic. Yes, my bags were packed and I would have left that Saturday morning and the Friday evening I received a message from the States that said I should maybe wait another two weeks before coming. And two weeks later we went into our first lockdown um, 
So then uh, Professor Yampolsky retired. He's not at Northwestern University anymore. So we decided that I will be going to the Netherlands then. Um, and I would have left for the Netherlands last year in November to work with um, Ariantin at the Maastricht University. And surprise, surprise, we had a flight ban to the Netherlands in November, so I couldn't go then either. And this year, finally, things opened up here again, so we're very busy with the opera and a few other projects. Um, so I'm trying to find time to actually utilize this wonderful prize that I've been given. But it is still there for you to it's, use. It's still there, yes. Okay. Yes. okay. Yeah, so just time it correctly and go when you feel it's Oh, definitely, right. yeah. And, um, and I read also, Skalk, that when you were working with Gerben Groten, he used to give you extra time. I mean, he obviously thought you had talent, so he spoiled you and gave you extra rehearsal yeah, time. Yeah, well, extra rehearsal time and way longer lessons than the university paid him for. He was paid for hour lessons, and they were never under three hours. Oh, we as just, long as that. Yeah. We just delved into the music, and we couldn't get enough. So he was one of my big mentors, and another big mentor, of course, is Gerard Korsten, who I've had whom you worked with, yes, as well, yes. So he asked me to be his assistant when he came down here, and then he also invited me to work with him in Bregenz in Austria. Um, so I worked with him and Ilya Gringoltz and went on tour with his orchestra for about a month, which was absolutely inspirational. Gosh, and, it must have been. Yeah. And he's such a, an educator and wonderful person in that sense as well. He he paid for my whole trip to Austria. So it's... Gosh. Yeah. And what a great musician. Oh, conductor. Yeah. Yes. Indeed. And great violinist. But I gather you are passionate about the youth and teaching as well. Yes, definitely. Um, my life is quite busy with my, my full-time position at the University of Pretoria as well and working with the orchestra there and having conducting students as well but I try to make time for children and I used to teach violin and piano and unfortunately I don't have time for that anymore but I still dedicate two hours a week to working with young children in children's choirs and so on and I visit them ever so often to to just work with them and try and cultivate an understanding at least um, for music mm -hmm. yeah. from an early age and Definitely. make it exciting yeah. so you are a conducting lecturer as well teacher correct yes okay yeah. it's interesting people would be so fascinated to find out but that's another whole story how you start becoming a conductor your first conducting lesson and the thing with the conductors the only way you can practice is on an orchestra oh yes I absolutely so. believe that <laughs> but just anyway that's another story so you're clearly very busy. What are you going to do after the marriage of Figaro? After the marriage of Figaro, I just found out I'm going to do the Rococo variations with Bertin von Skuer and the Pretoria Symphony Orchestra. I have to go back home today and choose the symphony and the overture. So that's my first project when I'm back. Okay. And then being as busy as you are, you've got a family as well, haven't you? I'm married, yes. And um, luckily my wife... Now, the the positive thing that came out of the pandemic is the fact that you can work from home. Mm -hmm. um, so she joins me quite often um, when I'm away from home, which okay. which helps. Yeah, I'm sure. Keeps yeah. the family together. Yeah. Okay, well, Skalka, it's been interesting talking to you, and I'm intrigued to hear the recitatives in mm -hmm. The Marriage of Figaro. <laughs> so listen out especially for those. Now, you've chosen a beautiful piece by Sibelius to end that we don't hear enough of called the Andante Festival. Mm-hmm. 
Why? I mean, I've just said it's a beautiful piece, but why have you specifically chosen it? And you're also conducting this on Yes, this was actually my very first concert and recording with the University Orchestra, which also happened in lockdown. So we had to do it virtually, and hence the reason that we have this recording. But this was actually originally a string quartet, I believe, and Sibelius rewrote this for a radio recording, live radio uh, performance, um, and this is also the only recording that we have of Sibelius conducting one of his own compositions, um, and I thought it quite appropriate to choose this, seeing that it was written for radio. <laughs> there you go. But this is you conducting. This is Sibelius. me conducting, not Sibelius. All right. Yes. Scott van Ameva, thanks for being a fascinating guest, and um, enjoy Figaro in Cape Town, and we'll see you again, I hope. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I hope so, too.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Mm-hmm.